0: Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award-winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mystique behind what it takes to be truly successful from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I want to impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Ethan Cross. Dr. Cross is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, best-selling author, and award-winning professor at the University of Michigan, where he studies how the conversations people have with themselves impact their health, performance, decisions, and relationships in his emotion and self-control lab. His book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It is a national bestseller that addresses the hidden power of our inner voice and shows us how to harness it to combat anxiety, improve physical and mental health, and deepen our relationship with others. It was also chosen as one of the best new books of the year by Washington Post, CNN, and USA Today. Through his findings and research, Ethan found ways we can spin chatter into productive exercises that allow us to gain a better perspective on our life and the situations that we may be encountering. Ethan, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this this conversation for a while, so happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to just jump right in. We were able to get some amazing research on you, and I started looking through myself and kind of just going a little deeper. I want to take things a little differently. I want to talk about the Bodyguard for Academics how does that make you feel?
1: In retrospect, I find it to be comical, the experience. But but when I think about it, it also, you know, I, I think of it as a really valuable experience because I had been studying this phenomenon of chatter. So what happens when you get stuck in a negative thought loop that you can't get out of that's really... Not very productive for your health, your relationships, your your well being. I've been studying that for years, but ne- never really experienced it in the way that many of the participants in our experiments had. And bodyguards for academics gave me gave me that experience. It was like being a subject in one of my own experiments for a couple of nights. So yeah, what what do you think about that phrase? I thought, I mean, in retrospect, like coming up with that idea for a Google search seemed really, pretty clever, no?
0: So I thought it was amazing and let me let me tell you the reason why when I was reading this and I was I'm actually really thank you very much for for actually speaking about it I really appreciate it the reason why this was so phenomenal to me is, as you know, I'm a crisis expert. And so very, very often, uh, we hold these leaders that lead massive companies and billions and billions of dollars of revenue. We hold them in a place of, you know, leadership capacity. We hold them in a place of almost like a little bit holier than thou, and they've got everything together, and they're, you know, they're really, really strong, and all of these different things. And in the last couple of years, obviously, with COVID, the amount of I say emergency calls or crisis calls that I've gotten have been unreal, unbelievable. How many? I've had more people have a very similar experience to this, and and literally come out going, "I know, Steph, listen to me. I'm losing my mind. Like this is what." And I know in my body, I know my soul. It's not real, but like like I can hear the knock or I can hear the talk or I can hear. And so when I read this, I was like, gosh, I just really want, I want Ethan to go through his experience. Like I want you to tell people what happened and how you actually got better from it, what happened for you. And then I want to move into the chatter thing. I kind of wanted just you to tell your story about this first.
1: Sure. Um, so, so a quick version of, of the bodyguard for academic story was um, – at this point, it was probably a decade ago, my colleagues and I had published a research study that ended up getting a lot of attention. I went on NBC evening news, a really exciting moment for many of us. And we were riding high for a couple of days. And then one day I walked into my office and in my mailbox was, was a hand addressed letter to me, which I don't really get that often. Uh, Now it is mostly email, but I opened it up and it turned out to be um, a threatening letter. And Ended up having to go speak to the police about it, and it was really just really chilling. My wife and I had just had our first child. The advice that the police gave me when they saw the letter was to, you know, they first tried to put it in perspective and say, well, you know, these things happen every now and again, they usually amount to nothing. But just to be on the safe side, you might want to drive home a different way from work each day in case someone's following awesome. you. Awesome, you're um, like, thank
0: you for that. <laughs>
1: yeah, th- well, you know, it, what made that piece of advice even more more interesting was that the fact that at the time we lived about four blocks away from my office, so you know, you could do the math. There weren't that many permutations on how you could get home each day, so I couldn't get this idea of someone coming after us out of my head for, for several days and nights, couldn't focus on work, couldn't stop talking about it to my wife, you know, wasn't listening to the really good advice she was trying to give me and I couldn't sleep. And so I started pacing my house with one of my, my little league baseball bats, you know, peeking through the blinds, really, really, truly chilling moment. And at my very worst, when my anxiety about this issue peaked, I remember sitting down to my computer, in front of my computer, and and considering, it was considering, and I'll explain why in a second, considering doing a Google search for bodyguards for academics. And the moment I started thinking about doing this, right, I didn't actually hit enter because had I hit enter, I thought, my God, if anyone ever sees me search for this, I'll think I'm out of my mind. But when I was contemplating it, what prevented me from doing that was I had this realization, and I actually spoke to myself, Ethan, what are you doing? Get your act together. And, and actually having that moment where I started using my name to essentially talk to myself like I was giving advice to a close one or a friend or a student or colleague, that immediately snapped me out of this chatter space that was running through my head, right? So instantly I'm like, this is this is crazy. You gotta stop this, go to bed right? Nothing's going to happen. And I did, in fact, go to bed. And so the moment I started relating to myself, coaching myself through the scenario, using my name, like I was talking to someone else, that helped me get out of it. And and we've since done a lot of research on that that tool. And we, we think of, of, we call this distant self-talk and it involves essentially using language, harnessing the power of language to shift your perspective. We know from lots and lots of research that it is much easier for us to give advice to other people than it is to take our own advice. And what I find so, you know, magical may be the wrong word, but I think of it as almost magical. It's, 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 it's so interesting to me how we've evolved these, these ways of changing our perspective. And language provides us with a really efficient way of doing it. Use your name to relate to yourself. I'm I'm sure you, you, you probably experienced this kind of scenario quite a bit where you're working with these titans of industry who are enormously successful, enormously sharp at being able to navigate stressful circumstances, but in moments of weakness, when, when the spotlight's on them, they call you for help. Is it an analogous situation?
0: No. And it's actually really interesting that you say that, Ethan, because I had Mark Bowden on the show a few weeks ago and we were talking because a lot, you know, I'm not an expert. Like I'm not an expert in body language. I'm not an expert in, in self-chatter. Uh, all of these, I mean, I feel like I am an expert because I do it to myself, but I'm not an expert. Um, but like it's now actually You could really, use your
1: name though. So, I know, you, exactly. You've got, you've got one tool.
0: So, so the greatest thing is, is one of the things in talking with Mark was that I was, I was also validating what I do with clients and you really, really just did that for me. So thank you so much. So when I'm talking to a client and it is a very stressful situation and it could be anything, it could be a Ponzi scheme, it could be a kickback, it could be, you know, the college admission scandal, it could be anything that an executive is going through, you know, think of anything, sexual harassment, HR issues, money laundering, whatever it is. The personalization, me looking at them, literally holding their shoulders and and saying to them, Ethan, listen to me, okay? This is blah, 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 and you go down. But it's really looking into their eyes and really, really understanding them as a person and what they're feeling. It almost like snaps it, like, you know, okay, it's like jarring because you're hearing your own name. The feedback that I've gotten over the years that I've done this is, you use my name a lot. Is there a reason Why? And so hearing you say that, it really, it's it's very reassuring and it's very validating that in order to get these um, negative connotations and these negative conversations that happen so profusely to get them to stop and actually take a step back. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, no, happy to. And and maybe let's take it a beat further just so, so that listeners can understand the psychology behind this, because I think when you first hear about, this idea of using your name or the the second person pronoun you, it's like, well, oh yeah, I've kind of I've done that. I've seen other people do it, but why would something so simple like that actually work? And so there are actually two points that I think are important to keep in mind. I say this because I think if people understand how things work, it makes them even more motivated to try to use these tools in their lives. So the the first point to understand is that oftentimes the reason we get stuck in chatter and we can't get out is because we are so immersed in the situation. We're focusing on it so narrowly that we can't make sense of the bigger picture. We can't get that broader perspective that is often so useful for getting us out of the chatter. So to go back to my situation, the bodyguards for academic situation, like the bigger picture is these things do happen every now and again. And 999,000 times, or did I say that right? 999,000, right? They amount out of a out of million, they amount to zero, right? So the probability of something bad is infinitesimally small. But when you're looking at that letter and looking at the drawings and the text that's all you think about. So the question is, how do we get distance? How do we zoom out? And there are a lot of ways you could do that. And I talk about lots of different tools in my book about how you can give people distance, but language is one way of doing it. And so why does using your name give you distance? Well, think about when we use names, right? Most of the time we use names when we're thinking about or referring to other people right? So Stephanie, how are you feeling? This is, it's, this is the language of others, right? The connections between names and thinking about other people is deeply ingrained in our minds. And so the idea is when you use your own name, that's turning on the, the brain machinery for thinking about other people. And we all know we are much better at giving advice to others and taking that own advice. So, so that's how this works.
0: I love that. I, and so since we're talking about that, I want to, if you're okay with that, I'd love for you to go through the 10 chatter tools. Because again, in consulting and in coaching and in crisis, when people feel, you know, obviously it's, it's out of the blue. People don't know what's happening. They know what's happening. They don't necessarily think they're going to get caught or they are um, in a very, very high pressure situation. So, They often feel under a magnifying glass with a bunch of people looking at them, and then the negative, the negativity starts, the negative chatter starts. And you know, this is why obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, Ethan, and mental health is so critically important right now but i think overall if we can train ourselves to do a better job when this chatter starts to happen when you get the very first feeling of the chatter starting to happen if we can walk through you don't have to mention all of them but just some of the ones that maybe have worked for people that you've worked with in the past so i can actually start talking to people about your book
1: yeah well well let me give you let me give you the tools that that i rely on a lot personally and you know one thing another point for listeners to just think about is the idea that I think we need to shift as a culture from thinking about single panaceas, like one thing you could do that will magically erase all chatter from your life, to thinking about the the idea that, look, there are lots and lots of different tools that exist for managing our chatter. Sometimes using a couple of different tools together is the formula for feeling better. Some situations may require some kinds of tools that are different from other kinds of filled situations. And so what I tried to do in my book and what we do in our lab, right, is we try to identify the universe of tools that exist. And then we try to give people the opportunity to try to self-experiment to figure out, hey, which tools work best for you, given your unique situations in this world. So what works for me? There are a couple of things I could do on my own. So when I feel the chatter beginning to brew, and I do experience chatter every now and again, I'll use just in self-talk. I'll, I'll, it's like my initial go-to. I'll try to put it in perspective. All right, Ethan, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to manage the situation. I start trying to think myself through the situation, using my name like I'm giving my buddy really good advice.
0: So Ethan, can you tell me um, some of the tools that you use every day that some of our listeners may be able to start using one or two, or maybe putting a few of them together? What has worked for you and what's been helpful?
1: So I don't necessarily use them every day, thankfully, because I don't have chatter every day, but um, but whenever I do have, uh, whenever I feel chatter beginning to brew or I find myself immersed in it, I do have a go-to set of tools that I'll use. So one thing I'll do is I will use distant self-talk. I will try to coach myself through the situation using my name like I give advice to someone else. There's a caveat here. I usually do this silently in my head. I don't walk up and down the streets talking to myself out loud with my own name. I wouldn't advise doing that, uh, especially if you live in a populated area. But you can do it out loud. Just you don't want other people to to see you do that because that violates social conventions, obviously. But I'll, I'll coach myself through the situation. If it's an acute stressor, I got a big presentation, like high stakes talk coming up. I'm beginning to worry a little bit. I will do something called mental time travel. I will think about how am I going to feel about this a week from now after it's over or six months from now or a year from now? What? engaging in that small degree of mental time travel does for us is it it makes us realize that as awful as the experience we're going through currently is it will eventually fade with time right because like i've never experienced a presentation where i worried about it 6 months after it happened or even 6 weeks and so our emotions tend to fade with time and when you jump into that mental time travel machine that has a way of helping us put our our experiences and perspective in ways that help us feel better about them. So I'll do mental time travel too. You can also, by the way, you don't just have to go forward in time. You go back in time too. I also do this with COVID, right? When I think about, oh, oh, oh goodness, like things are so bad and annoying, but guess what? A lot better now than it was when we were dealing with the the last great pandemic in, in 1918, or, you know, go back even further before there were vaccines and and other kinds of technology, like 1700s and the medieval times, like even worse. So that also helps helps us just really see what it is we're dealing with. And let's think about this in, in, in the big picture. Mm-hmm. So I'll do those two things on my own. I'll then also, I'll connect with my quote unquote chatter advisors. So I have this like really curated set of people that I go to when I need some support. And it's curated because one of the things we know from the science is that when people experience chatter, they're often highly motivated to talk to others about it. And they're motivated to do that for a few different reasons, but not all conversations with other people actually help us with our chatter. So conversations in which all we do is vent, for example, oh, let me just tell you how awful this is and, and what do you think? that ends up usually making our chatter worse because all we end up doing is rehearse. Oh my God, how bad is this? And the person you're talking to is like, wow, that really is terrible. Oh my God, I feel for you. It's great that you feel for me. And I feel we're close friends, you know, so it's great that we have that connection, but to be a really good chatter advisor, what you ultimately want to do. And I'm guessing you do this a lot in your industry in your business, is you're helping to give people that perspective, right? You're you're connecting with them, but you're also saying, hey, let, let's look at the facts or let's look at the big picture. You're ultimately trying to help reframe the way that person is is thinking about the situation to make them feel better. And so there are a couple of people in my life who are really skilled at helping me do that, and I'll go to them for help. And then the last two things that I do are I will tidy up and organize my, my home and my office, which... For me, is kind of unusual because I'm not that tidy a guy. One of my, my wife's biggest complaints, and I think she'll listen, but I don't think she'll disagree, <laughs> here, is that usually the, the trail of clothing following me from like the the bathroom to the to the shower or whatever, um, you know, I leave things where yeah. they are. But I'm very familiar I,
0: with that. I'm very you're familiar, familiar with that. that. <laughs> yes, I hear
1: it's common in relationships. <laughs> but when I'm experiencing chatter, I do something odd for me. I, I organize, I clean, I go to the kitchen and do the dishes and, and scrub the countertops and make sure everything is is pristine. And, and what that does, by, when we're experiencing chatter, we often feel like we don't have control, right? Our thoughts are in control, they're out of order. What we've learned through science is that by ordering your surroundings, by tidying up, by cleaning the dishes, that provides you with a sense of order and control that compensates for this lack of order and control you're feeling inside. So so I'll organize and, and and clean. And then I'll go for walks in nature. Uh there's a great park right by my house. So I'll I'll try to go for a quick walk, take in the green space and and that's another way of of helping me gain perspective. Like, my god, look at this natural beauty, these trees that have been here for decades. Like they've they've managed to get through hurricanes, tornadoes and all sorts of stuff. Like I'll get through this. So that's my cocktail. That was two, three, that was five tools. I use them interchangeably. Most of them are really easy to use and you know, most of the time that that does nip it in the bud for me really quick. But one final point here is that the the combination of tools that I use that I just described, those are different from the combinations of tools that my wife uses when she experiences chatter, which are different from the tools that my best friend uses. And so I really think that that one challenge that we all face is to have that self-insight and awareness to be able to figure out, hey, what are the tools that work best for me? And the first step to doing that is knowing what those tools actually are. And that's why I wrote the book.
0: Make an unforgettable impression the moment you walk in the room with executive presence elevated. This program is an exclusive and intensive online program designed specifically for you and led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how integral executive presence is to gaining you the influence, prestige, and recognition you deserve and desire. Whether you're a mid-level manager looking to advance to the next level or an entrepreneur looking to inspire confidence in your investors, this program will transform your belief in what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalek.com forward slash elevated. Not only is that such great insight, Ethan, here's the other thing that I want to get your perspective on. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm totally going off script, but you've said so many really interesting things. One of the things I tell my clients is, so I've had, I've had some clients for 10 and 15 years. Okay. And so they're like, gosh, this always worked. This always worked for me. This is like, I don't understand. And I'm like, you have to be flexible with those tools and be able just, as you said, have great insight and self-awareness and self-actualization to understand this is not the right tool for this circumstance, this age, this crisis, whatever it happens to be. And those tools, like you said, are very interchangeable, but you have to understand that it doesn't have to be the same tool every single time. And I think that's important because I think people really get stuck on, oh my gosh, this is not working anymore. Now something's really wrong and it's bad. And then you go into another whole level of the self-chatter.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't have said it any better. I mean, I like to use the... The analogy of a carpenter. My grandfather was a carpenter. Interestingly, that, that trait of handiness did not follow down to me, but, but I do like to, I was exposed to lots of tools, physical tools when I was growing up. And one of the things that you, you learn, right? Most people know this is that to build a house, you need a lot of different tools. You need a hammer, you need a screwdriver, you need a, a saw, but you know, the situations that require those different tools can vary. Like sometimes it's a hammer, sometimes it's a hammer and the screwdriver. And as a science, right? Like, so speaking with my my scientific hat on here, what we've done a really good job, I think, doing is identifying individual tools, right? We've done through through lots of experimentation. We've identified distant self-talk and temporal distancing and rituals and all these other sorts of things um, that I talk about. We've studied how those tools work in isolation and carefully controlled conditions in the lab. What we haven't yet really done is figure out well how do those two different kinds of tools combine optimally for different people in different situations. So that's a challenge that scientists now face, trying to look at those how those tools come together. We call you know those interactions, and I think it's a challenge that we as humans face when trying to figure out how do we manage chatter in our lives because it comes in lots of different forms you know sometimes it's coming from work and
0: it's not one size fits all it's It's not one size fits all it's just it's just not like a a lot of times when clients hire me they're like hey what's your methodology and I was like oh, wait, 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 <laughs> we really need to sit down and have a conversation because your, your 10 is not somebody else's 10. Um, your experience is not somebody else's experience. I would be doing you just such a grave damage to actually sit there and go, let me walk you through my methodology. It's, it's a culmination of so many different things. So to hear you speak about that, sometimes people get so frustrated when those one or two or five tools don't work. It's, it's not linear. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a process.
1: It's an iterative process. I mean, you know, when an athlete has an injury, you don't just have them do the exact same exercise every single time. You want to do a functional analysis. You want to figure out, all right, what is the nature of the injury? And what are the kinds of activities that that athlete is trying to do? And then based on that very unique situation, you devise... A plan for rehabbing or preventing injury, right? It's, it's tailored to the person and the situation. And I think that's what we all need to be doing when it comes to our own chatter, because as you said, it's very, it's often very specific. I will say one more point on this topic. because I think it's such an interesting one. I think one of, one of the places, one of the reasons why this theme of like, well, what what's the what can I do to be happy? Like, just tell me what it is. Like, we want these really simple solutions, right? Right. And what can and I do? Often, what can I do? The one thing you could do, yeah. and
0: yes, the one thing again, the one thing.
1: The the, the culture often gives <laughs> us that, right? Like, be mindful, yeah. be in the moment. Mindfulness, being the moment, are both great in certain contexts, right? They don't solve everything. They can be very helpful, but you want to be more flexible. And the truth is that a lot of the tools that exist for managing chatter, they are really easy, really simple to use, but you don't want to just limit yourself to one of them.
0: Well, and, and Ethan, to another point, which I want to talk about next is, is that not everybody really knows how to use them. You know, I, I mean, I, I struggle with this because there's YouTube, okay? And you can really go on and find so many great resources on, hey, how do I effectively meditate? Or what's a guided, you know, meditation? Or what is a silent meditation? Or how do I calm this anxiety? So there's so many resources. But truthfully, you wouldn't believe how many people, you know, my age, my my peer group that are like, does that really work for you? Really? You just close your eyes and you like listen to, you know, whatever, froofy music. It's not so much that it's creating the calm and the still to let these things go and really for me and obviously you're the expert that comes from high 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 emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah, well I think I think knowing about So I think it's really interesting that if you think about like how we educate our our children many of the things we teach children in school are we're teaching them concepts that we think are are important for their ability to live a good, successful life, right? Like mathematics, having a basic understanding of math is really helpful. Like not only when it comes to, I guess people don't balance their checkbook anymore, but when it, you know the, the, you, you will review your credit card statement, or hope you should you should be if you're not, right. like, look over <laughs> okay. for false charges. But we compute percentage like tips when we go out to dinner if, in a previous world when we used to do that, like basic math can be really helpful. Like history, having an understanding of what happened before us, we can learn from the past. Vital. What's interesting to me is that if you look at at curricula nationwide, there is no emphasis on understanding how the mind works when it comes to regulating our emotions, being emotionally intelligent. There are like pop-up curriculums here and there, but I think understanding how to con- what emotions are and how to manage them, this should be basic information that all kids are learning because we are grappling with emotions every day. And I think people and there's data to support this: people who are better, who are more emotionally intelligent, to use that term, they tend to do better in lots of different ways—health, performance, relationships. So, so you know that that was another goal of writing this book was to say, okay, well, what do we know about about like what is chatter and what do we know about how to manage it when when you find it striking science has some stuff to say we're not necessarily teaching about it in a in a very organized way so here's here are the tools
0: I couldn't agree more and when I finish your book I definitely want to have you back because I'll have much more specific questions when I was reading about your dad teaching eastern philosophy and you growing up really understanding you know how to meditate and one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is how did that make you different from your peer group? Because I know I have four kids and I know they're sick of me saying, hey, take a deep breath. Like, Let's like figure out what your feelings are. Let's be mindful of where you are. And a lot of the things that you've said, and again, it's an entire different podcast, really, really, Ethan. but I feel so strongly about if we gave our children these tools before we gave them math and science and all these other things, if we started them at a young age of empathy and connection and humility and really being able to look at somebody and look into their eyes and ask them a question and then not fidget and run away. But really, truly, how are you? You know, what's going on for you? And they they stayed steady and they actually looked at that person and had the conversation. Or they knew how to feel empathy without feeling blame. Or they knew how to get to pain and hurt faster. Think about, I mean, my oldest is 26. My youngest is 11. And I just have seen the massive shift in how problems are handled at school and then also too, I get data from other places going, "Hey, this school implemented, you know, EQ in middle schoolers, and here's the positive effect, and here are the changes." I know you have so much information on this, but you yourself, when your dad was teaching you all about this, how did it set you aside from your peer group?
1: Well, you know, one way it set me aside is we ended up doing like lots of kind of felt very weird activities on the weekends. Like uh, I remember in high school, you know, going to like communal meditation or, you know, session or like visiting a sensory deprivation tank. So like that felt real. I didn't necessarily tell all my friends about those activities growing right. up. Right. Your friends are like, what are uh, you
0: doing this weekend? And you're like, ah, yeah, ah, hanging out.
1: No, no, nothing <laughs> nothing interesting. But but I did file <laughs> away those experiences and I do value them after. And so when, when my dad was talking to me about meditation growing up, it's not like I, I instantly took up every practice he described. It's not like I meditated every day when I was five years old onward, I did it intermittently, but the information that he taught me, like it gets in there, it seeps in. And when I think about my kids right now, like I talk to them about the science surrounding all these different tools and practices. And, you know, I have two daughters and they respond somewhat differently to it. One asks more questions and and wants more, the other rolls their eyes. There's an age difference too. But with both of them, I've noticed that it gets in there. It penetrates those ideas. And so I think from the parent perspective, from the the leader perspective, the best we can do is try to share these tools with our teams, our children, the people we care about. And ultimately, it's then up to people to figure out whether they want to use them. But I I genuinely believe if, if people have a need if they're experiencing the pain of chatter, if they're experiencing the pain of of having difficulty regulating their emotions, and they have access to tools that can help mitigate that pain, they're going to use those tools. And so that's why I just think it's so important to be talking, having conversations about these topics, because a lot of people experience the pain, but they don't really understand where it's coming from. I mean, like, how often do we talk about like our inner voice or this voice in our head? I think you ask most people like, Hey, why do you, why do you have an inner voice? Do you ever talk to yourself? Like I have asked people those questions. And, and a lot of times, like, I never really thought about that. Like, what does it mean? Is it, am I weird if I talk to myself? You know, is that a basic part of how I work? Like, why do I even have the ability to hear a voice in my head. And and so there, there's just a lot of basic information we could provide people that I think will ultimately help them live better lives.
0: I couldn't agree more. So when when you're talking about the tools for chatter and you're talking about, you know, you you give such great points, Ethan, when do we know the tools aren't working and we need to do something else?
1: Well, I think, I think, you know, that the tools aren't working. If you find those thought loops recurring, you want to give them a little bit of time and recognize that when you're immersed in worry. So worry tends to be chatter about the future. Oh my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, blah, blah, blah. Rumination is chatter about the past. Oh my God, I can't believe I said that, you know, and what's going to happen now. And I, you can't stop thinking about the foot in the mouth and that kind of thing. I think you know if the if the tools are working if that that kind of perseveration about the experience persists, right? If you find yourself continuing to think about it over and over again for hours and days on end. If you find it, you know, seeping into your dreams and waking you up at night, which is, you know, one um, common symptom of chatter. Like that's an indication that you want to try using some other tools. Or just use some tools. A lot of the time people don't do anything about their chatter. They just immerse in it further. So I think the the signs of whether it's working or not are, are the pain. You know, like we experience pain because it alerts us to something that is not optimal, right? In terms of our body, like, oh. Pull your hand away from the stove when you get in the flame. It's hot. Not good for you. Like if you find it painful to keep thinking about these experiences over and over again, like that's emotional pain and that's a cue that you need to take action. So that's how you'd figure out whether it's working or not, the tools are working or not.
0: So you mentioned your wife earlier, and, and about her chatter and her tools are different than yours. So a couple questions I have when you were talking. First of all, I'm going to take that entire clip about cleaning and organizing, and I'm going to send it out lovingly to all of my children and say, "See what this lovely Ethan says." He says that if you're stressed out, clean your room.
1: I hope it helps. <laughs> we'll
0: see if that gets anywhere. <laughs> I I I, I,
1: so, I have joked that sometimes I, I've. My wife has never admitted this, but sometimes I I think she secretly hopes for just a little bit of chatter for me to experience a little bit because she's She's really happy about it. Yes, exactly. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So when that happens for you, so let's just take that one specific incident. If that starts happening for you, does she reach out to you and say, you know, hey, Ethan, do we need to sit down and have a conversation? Does she say, do you need extra support? How does it look for the people that are around you? Because for me, when I'm advising a client, I always try to set up what you just called kind of your chatter advisors. I have like this personal advisory board that maybe isn't like a bunch of yes people, but it's also two people that give you a much broader picture. It's not people that are just go, oh, wow, gosh, you know, like, cause that just gives you the same messaging. It's reinforcing that negative messaging, which is really painful. What happens for you with support?
1: Well, so there, there are two, two key nuggets, I think, but that, that are relevant when talking about like how to be a good chatter advisor to someone else and how to get good chatter advice. The first important take home is, you want to be talking to people who are skilled, as we talked about earlier. Not just yesing you, like you just described. Not just getting you to vent and ruminate, but they can help you, like look at it from a different angle. But you need to be careful. Like, let's say I see my wife struggling with something. There's a lot of research which shows that if you, if I volunteer my support, to, hey, oh, I see you're struggling here. Let, you ever think about? doing it differently, like that can often blow up in people's faces because what we know is if you volunteer support when it's not asked for, that can make people feel bad. It threatens their sense of of what we call self-efficacy, this idea that I can handle things on my own. And people end up getting really defensive. So you often see this happening a lot with kids, like a kid struggling with their homework. You go over to them and like, hey, can I help you with this or show you a different way to do it? Like, did I ask you for help? I can do it on my own, get away, you know, blah, blah, blah. So in those instances, what you wanna do is something called invisible support, which involves helping the person without drawing attention to the fact that they need your help. Sounds really complicated. In practice, it's really easy and there are lots of ways to do it. So if my wife's experiencing a bit of chatter, I can do things to just make her burden a little bit less extreme you know, let me take care of dinner and pick up the dry cleaning instead of having that on her plate for that day, right? What I'm doing there, she's not asking me to do it. I'm just taking care of it. So I'm alleviating the stress, which ultimately is going to help her.
0: You're giving her a little bit of space.
1: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not asking for brownie points for it. I'm not asking it to be checked off. I'm just doing it knowing that that's going to make it easier on her. I'm helping her without Drawing attention to the fact that I'm helping her. If someone on my in my in my group, like one of my students or postdocs, is really struggling with, let's say, their their speaking skills, rather than say, hey, we really need to talk about how to get you better in this regard. And here's a book you might want to look at and watch these videos and let's talk. I might do something like I, I might send an email to my whole group and say, hey. Here are a couple of resources I just came across that are really useful. Why don't we read about this and talk about it during our next meeting for everyone? So I'm getting that person the information they need, but I'm not drawing a spotlight on their own inadequacies. So, so those are those are a few different ways that they can help. And you know, my wife, um, I'm pretty quick to ask her for support when I need it. And and she's helpful with helping me reframe things. But when I don't explicitly ask her for support and she knows I'm still under the gun, she will take that indivisible route and, and I'm often grateful for it. So, you know, she'll pick pick up the kids when I'm supposed to, or you know, even something as simple as I'm a I'm a tea addict. I love drinking like black tea. It's not coffee for me, it's just tea throughout the day. It keeps me going. Like She'll like, you know, bring me, make me a cup of tea or something. And and it's, it's those little things that can it's make the a difference. It's the small
0: comforts. That's incredible. That's really, that's incredible. So, so, so Ethan, you know, the show is about obstacles and turning obstacles into opportunities. Um, it's business and it's crisis and it's all things that kind of people overcome what is the biggest obstacle thus far that you've overcome? And it's either turned out to be a blessing or you go, wow, that was actually an incredible opportunity.
1: Well, bodyguards for academics, that was a big obstacle for sure. So getting over that, that threatening ladder, which I did very quickly and ended up becoming really, it was an important spike on my personal timeline because as I mentioned before, I learned a lot about me and the phenomenon that I study. You know, writing a book, writing a book was 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 a big obstacle. Um, this was a, an incredibly challenging experience for me. i'm I'm a seasoned author of articles, journal articles, but I had never written a book before chatter. and it took three or four years, depending on how you calculate the time that went into it to do it with lots of revisions and journalism and 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 it was it was tough. But I'm really grateful that I managed it and and seeing how people have reacted to it has been really validating. so that's another another obstacle that that I managed to push through with a positive consequence.
0: That's amazing. I'm so excited to actually get through the book. Um, when I was reading through the research, I just kept finding you more and more and more fascinating. And when I was reading through the tools, I was just excited because it's something I can use within my own life day to day with my clients and then you know with my family because everybody's in in a little bit of a fragile state, you know, going through their own variations of whatever their chatter may be. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Well, well I hope you like it and uh, would love to, talk, to chat more with you about it. But, but I think, you know, what, what's interesting about chatter is this is a universal. It's something that affects ourselves at times, our kids. It's equally relevant, though, to work. You know, I, I have an appointment here at the business school. I mean, when you're thinking about leadership and, and talking to leaders about their experiences, they're often filled with chatter. Right. Like, how am I going to manage this, this, this team and this company and the shareholders? And so, so it really doesn't matter whether you are an athlete uh, under the spotlight or a CEO or, you know, a Starbucks barista, barista, Mm -hmm. I always pronounce that word wrong. What, which way do you pronounce it? I say barista, but yeah, that's, that's,
0: that's what I, I say barista. It could be wrong. Well, I'm sure we'll get a ton of comments that are telling us we're both, we're both wrong, so.
1: Yes, okay, well, I no offense. You know, I just, I don't drink coffee. I'm tea, so you can't hold it against me. But um, but our kids, I mean, it's just, it's relevant across disciplines, areas. And so So I think it's one of the big problems we face as a species. And, and the good news is we've evolved this, lots of different tools, this giant toolbox of, of techniques we can use to manage it. And so I think there is an uplifting message at the end of the, the chatter story.
0: And I think you cover it so well, because when I was looking at it, it's like, it's kids, it's athletes, it's moms, it's, you know, workers, it's leaders, and it, it doesn't really matter. And you can call it different things. You can call it self-talk, you can call it chatter, you can call it whatever you want. Every single person has it. And I really think you did an amazing job addressing that in the book. So I'm really excited to get through it. I have a couple more questions because I know you have a hard stop, but I really would love to have you back on the show. And I wanted to thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it so much. So we've talked about all the really cool things about the lab. We've talked about like some of the things that you're doing and the experiments and, and just the things that you've done, okay? What's the least interesting thing that you've done in your job?
1: Hmm, the least interesting thing. Oh boy, I mean, you know, um file expense reports, you know, download invoices from Amazon for purchases. I mean, lots of administrative stuff that goes so along admin. with.
0: So admin. Admin is just admin. not there. Yet. A- admin just like is, not. Is
1: a, yeah. My goal is to try to eliminate as much admin as I can for my life on a daily basis. And despite having a support team, it's still not not possible. So yes, admin for sure.
0: Okay. And then what is something that you're hearing right now, kind of culturally or industry that everybody seems to think is so incredibly popular for good or bad that just makes absolutely no sense to you?
1: Well, the absolutely makes no sense. That's, that's a, well, there probably are a couple of those. Um, but, you know, usually the, I, th- I would say if, surrounding chatter, the, the issue is usually it's not that it makes no sense. It's just that things are overblown or sensationalized. And so you hear about like the latest fad, whether, you know, mindfulness or, or exercise or nutrition. And, you know, this is going to change your life. Maybe a little bit, but there are lots of things you can do. So I think we tend to to focus our spotlight on one intervention rather than, and and in the process, we lose sight of that, that bigger picture. I would say that's probably my my biggest pet peeve right now.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, We always talk about having a toolkit or a toolbox. It's not one or two. Um, I too have the same pet peeve. Sometimes people will want to call and they'll interview me and they'll go, hey, can you name the top three? Or can you give us five things? And it's like, it just, it just doesn't, I just almost feel like it's disingenuous. Like I almost feel like I'll do it if I really believe, like listening, okay? I believe that there are three things that you can do really, really well in listening that everybody can do that will make a difference. But for something so personal as in mental health and chatter, I really think you need a large toolbox.
1: That's right, yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: Well, Ethan, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I'm going to finish this book and, and ping you back and hopefully have you back on. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate your amazing advice. How do people find you if they want to learn more?
1: Uh, they could visit my website, www.ethancross.com. It's Cross with a K, K-R-O-S-S. And, and they could learn, they get info there about, about Chatter, about me, about our lab. They could take a Chatter quiz, see how well they know their inner voice and lots of other fun stuff.
0: Oh, that sounds really great. Well, thank you again. And we look forward to speaking soon. Thanks
1: for having me. look forward to being back.
0: Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y. S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.